Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Uh, so good to bring the word to you this morning. Say, I'm ready. Great, I'm ready too, and I want to say a happy Sunday. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great to bring this word to you because, you know, my heart is just full from just the worship time. Uh, thanks again to the worship team. I agree, it's just stellar every week. Thanks to the worship team and all you guys volunteers who are here every week. Uh, we are excited for the resumption, aren't we? We're looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, even with all the things that's going on, just the, the sense of coming together and worship, even right now, virtually, wherever you are at home, I just hope that, you know, you, God will just speak to you right where you are. Um, this morning, I sense this burden to just call on us as a community to press into discipleship together uh, uh, in this season. And there's a sense in which, you know, some or maybe more than some, of us, uh, you know, you feel a bit detached, uh, a little disengaged, a little weary, uh, a little distracted, maybe a bit worn out. Whatever the reason, we're not able to be very present uh, with our walk with God or, you know, with our life group, with, with church as a whole and with life with God in general, right? If that's you. And I just want to say this morning, God wants to speak to us and to you. And lately, personally, on a very personal level, uh, there's just been some questions um, that I've been throwing up to God uh, about my life and God's call, and, and, and some of you are, you know, privy to the details, you've been very kind, and there are times we go through these periods, and uh, it's a necessary stage where it's hard to perceive what God is doing, but we know God is working, right? And so we're going to talk about God's work in us, uh, even as we jump into the Word. Many years ago, let me share you a bit of a story, many years ago in Bible school, I was in a class where we, you know, the teacher was one of the main reasons I signed up to go there. And uh, when I was praying about going to the school, so this, this class was it. And it was a very significant class in many, many ways because throughout the whole semester of that class, what we had to do, and it's like a 40-page homework. It sounds not like a lot, but it was intense. Emotionally, mentally, what we had to do was basically map out in detail more than I had ever done before every event that I can recall from my conception to that present day, right? It was just mapping out this entire timeline. And every memory had to be documented, reflected on, and kind of interpreted what God was doing through that. And some of you maybe have done something similar or more in-depth, more than 40 pages. I still have that paper, and I still marvel at the amount of reflection that went into that. Now, I don't know about you, but doing that definitely brought so much opportunity for insight and revelation about God in my life throughout my history. I was just struck by the continuity in what seemed random or not connected kind of events and God's work in my life, the formation process, the origins of my baggages, come on. And until now, some of those insights come into play. Right, in my walk with God. And my point in recalling this to you is that you know, to say what became so apparent to me when I took that scrutiny of my life, God's heart is always to form us, to transform us. Right? It's not just what we do with our lives to be significant for him, but he is forming us to work in us his image of his son the hope of glory. Philippians 2.13 tells us, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is doing his work in each of us, to will and to work for his good pleasure, not anybody else's. God is working in you to produce something of eternal value beyond what we can see, right? For him, for his kingdom, all of your life, your history, your experiences, everything uh, that seems not connected or you don't even really see what's going on, all that you are, all that you do, all that you've done, God is fashioning you. He wants for you a glory that is 
imperishable, and he can force the best out of the worst you can ever go through. And he has all spiritual blessings for your life, right? And we know that from Ephesians, to be full of peace, full of joy, full of his purpose that this world cannot give. And he wants us to know this. So I'm very grateful uh, that he wants to speak to us about this. So I pray this morning uh, as we talk about defiant pursuit in unsettled times that this comes timely for many of you in some way in which God is speaking, right, right where you are, not just as an individual, but even uh, to us as the city community right, this morning. So let's pray, uh, and we'll jump into the, the text. Father, we are here, and we present uh, not just our bodies, all of our beings, our innermost beings before you. We ask that you uh, look into our hearts, and God, speak into the soil of our hearts, and, 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 and stir within us a response spirit to spirit in the depths of our being to you, to your voice, to your whispers, to your shouts, all that you have ever done and all that you're doing in our lives. Right now, in this moment, we pray that every one of us who are listening, God, we just say yes to you. Beyond all that we see, we say yes to you, Holy Spirit, and we say speak. And so with that, we trust and we open our ears, the ears of our hearts, and may our hands be surrendered to you with all that you want to do. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, he talks about God's work in them. So we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians 4. Okay, I actually have it here, which tells us, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 11. Now this text here makes such a strong and profound statement. And at first, uh, when I was just praying about today's message, there were just some words that came to mind, but you know, this text came much later. But when I looked into it, I began to see the ways in which God would want to stir up our heart for his word and his power this morning. Here you see God has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is this light? In our hearts, right? Verse 6 says, And this glory of God is in the face, not ours, but in the face of Jesus Christ. Then verse 7 tells us, But... That but there, verse seven, but, but this treasure which God has given, and what is this treasure? Christ, right? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This treasure that is Christ is in jars of clay, right? The verse tells us, think clay pots. They're fragile, they're perishable, right? What or who are these jars? We are, right? Why have this treasure in these jars? And it actually tells us to show, verse 7, to show that the power is of God, not of us. The surpassing power belongs to God. What is the significance of these jars of clay? Now, common in that day when, you know, anyone has something precious, they'll put it in a pot. It's like, you know, sometimes maybe uh, in the older days, we, we you know, hide things uh, under our pillow or, you know, a little, like, uh, unassuming shelf in the house. Presumably no one will look there for something expensive. Uh, but you would take good care of that container, right? You would take good care of that pot in which you put maybe your precious oil in or your, your you know, good grains or, you know, your pile of your, your uh, rubber band, pile of money, whatever it is. Uh, you would take good care of that container. Now, you know, like 
those of you who have kids, you know, like our daughter, she likes to make little surprises, like little cards or you know, just, just little surprises around the house, and she'll hide it somewhere uh, to later then reveal the surprise to us. It just gives her so much joy to that. But she would take care that we don't go near where she hid it, right? Or the container, cannot touch, you know, cannot go near, cannot see, because she cares for what she put inside of it, right? And, and in that same way, whatever pot uh, that, that people use to store their precious, their, their precious stuff, that pot is not just any pot. Then, then that pot becomes a very precious pot. And interestingly, this, this, this term in Greek uh, is what God used for Paul when he spoke to Ananias, when Paul, uh, well, from Saul became Paul on the road to Damascus, right? In Acts 9, verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Ananias, a God, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So if anybody would know anything about like, you know, being God's vessel, God's jar, God's instrument, it's Paul. Same word here. And I think that's why Paul taught using this analogy, right? You see this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 about being vessels of honor and dishonor. And you see this in Romans 9 as well. Same concept, this jar, earthen vessels. And the, MS, the, the message version actually translates it as unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. Is that good? Unadorned clay pots. Cracked pots. Not cracked pots. Cracked pots. Um, earthen cracked pots, you know, you'll have these lines uh, of the clay or dust that is made of jars of clay. But having said that, right, the thing is, if you look at it, Paul here is not belittling our worth. He's not belittling, uh, you know, our bodies. He's not scorning the mortal flesh, per se. He's simply wanting to highlight the incredible value of God's light and glory in comparison with the value of what God's light and glory are put into. You know what I mean? Such a contrast that it's like, it amazes us out of our wits, right? The glory is the treasure, not the vessel. The excellence of the power is related to what the treasure is inside of that jar, not the jar itself, not the vessel. But it definitely makes the jar so much more valuable, precious, right? You would be careful to take care of it. Picture an awesome photo, right? You've never seen such a nice painting before and you are full of joy, you bring it home and you want to frame it up, right? Or maybe uh, some of you would you know, share the joy of this. You see this amazing looking plant you know, in the plant shop, and you're like, ooh, I gotta have that, you know? And you bring it home, and you're like, you wanna repot it, or whatever, you wanna reframe your photo. And the, 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 the point is, you don't want to frame your photo in a frame that it's super fancy and ornate and, and just full of, you know, design that it takes away from the photo. Right, you know, I know there are some really nice planters, like plant pots, but you don't want to put your really nice plant in a pot that just like overwhelms the plant that you know you can barely appreciate the plant. And it's just it's just somewhat of the same thing. What you use to contain what is your treasure, it should accentuate and not outshine the treasure. And so Paul is saying that, you know, this treasure of God that is Christ placed in us. Why us? Jars of clay. It's so that God's power belongs to him and not us. So, you know, think God did not spare his only son. God did not withhold, he did not hold back so that we can receive the light of his glory that shines in our hearts and out of us, or out of our lives, because we contain this treasure in us so that God's glory is manifest through us. And Eugene Peterson puts it this way, if you only look at us, you might miss the brightness, right? We carry this precious message around that is Christ in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That, that is to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. 
As it is, there is not much chance of it. We're not much to look at. That's how he puts it. And when Christ's light shines in and through us, though, it is those cracks, you know, our brokenness, our frailty, that somehow causes this light to spill out. Darkness is dispelled. And we know that the kingdom is here and his victory is our reality. I think of Gideon's story in Judges chapter 7. And some of you may know this story where Gideon is leading this army, uh, but God whittles down the army from, you know, like 30 over to 22,000 that left them. And then after that, down to just 300 men to fight a vast army of the Midianites. But Gideon learned from that, you know, God's instruction was to have your men hold in one hand a lamp or a torch of fire, and in another, a clay pot, a clay jar. You know, to, 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 to then you go close to the Midianite army while they are resting. Unknowingly, you know, you come upon them, you go near them, you put your lamp in that jar, and you break that jar, and you shout out, for the Lord and for Gideon. And the Midianite army was just scattered. And I think Paul might have had this image in the back of his head when he was talking about this. If there's time, we kind of go into the story uh, towards the end later. But I want to go and, and talk about now focus on how Paul is here telling the Corinthians to be these vessels that boast in the Lord. It's about God's power. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29, says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Actually, this text goes on uh, in verse 30 or 31, I think, that, that quotes from the scroll of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, same idea, but it goes on to expand it. It says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Church, our greatest capacity is not in our wisdom, our might, our riches. Our greatest capacity, man's greatest capacity, no matter what accomplishments, what achievements, what accolades, is that we contain the glory of God. It is this great equalizer. No matter how big you are on earth or how insignificant you feel, we are ultimately all dust. We are all jars of clay that carry this treasure in us. We are all cracked pots you know, carrying the incredible glory of God. God chose you, the foolish, the weak, me, the unwise, <laughs> the terrible, you know, to be the vessel through which Christ's light shines through to the world so that the world experiences his victory, his freedom. And that is what we rest on, we boast in this, and we sing praises about, right? Like the song that sang just now, I'm so grateful that all of this is not in anything I've done. That song just captures this. There is nothing to boast about as jars of clay, except for the treasure we have been privileged to hold in our lives. There's more. Now, in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, after verse 7, I love how it goes on to describe this sort of stance that Christians have in the face of difficulty. It says, verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be manifest in our bodies. Such powerful use of words here, four sets of words. I'll just like bombard you with the like 
amount of words here, I realized that um, you know, Matt was helping me with putting in these words on the slides, and we're like, yeah, it's a bit small, but y'all can zoom, right? On the, you can just magnify it on your phone. Zoom in. Very powerful use of words here where it says afflicted but not crushed. And you know, being just, you know, love the imagery that words can paint in our minds. If it helps you to picture, you know, I just like plopped in all these words from different translations and just going into the Greek, you know, what it means when they translated it into these words. It, it means all these, you know, the shades of meaning. Afflicted, what is that? To be hard pressed, to experience trouble on every side, just, you know, you feel so kind of hemmed in, but not crushed, you're not reduced to straits, is how they defined it, not compressed in your spirit. You may be afflicted, but you are not compressed in your spirit. Second, perplexed, uh, at a loss. And, and many times we're like that, we don't know how to decide what to do, but not driven to despair. You're not utterly destitute of resources, God's resources. You're not at loss of all hope. There is always that sense of there is a glimmer of hope because of God, right? You're perplexed. And in life, we're often perplexed, but we're not driven to despair, Paul is saying. Third, persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted, uh, it can literally mean like hunted down, harassed, ill-treated. Uh, um, spiritually, you know, oppressed and whatnot, persecuted, but never forsaken, never abandoned, never deserted by God. Always He is by our side, not left helpless, for struck down, but not destroyed. What does it mean? Struck down, you're cast down, thrown down to the ground, rejected, whatever it is, but you are not put to death, not killed, not delivered up to eternal misery, not destroyed. If this is not a defiant stance in troubled times, I don't know what is. Paul is the one who would know all these, what it means to be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And he is saying to the Corinthians, you are all this, but not this, right? Let me add to the words even more. And this time uh, using, you know, just giving a richer picture, using more words from the message and uh, uh, rephrasing by William Barclay's uh, commentary. Afflicted, but not crushed. Basically, you know, surrounded and battered but not demoralized. You are not fully hemmed in. It's like, you know, you, you make a little felt pillow. Uh, I, I did that once uh, for, for our newborn. You make this little felt pillow and you kind of like stitch all around the side, but there's just this one hole like through which the cotton can just spill over still. You're not completely hemmed in. Second, perplexed, but not driven to despair. You may be at your wit's end, but you're not at your hope's end. We don't know what to do or how to decide, but God knows what to do and he knows what he's doing. Number three, persecuted, right, but not forsaken. You may be feeling terrorized, but God has not left your side. Struck down, you may be knocked down, right, figure like kickboxing, whatever. You're not knocked out even if you're knocked down? Are you getting the picture, right? Are you feeling overwhelmed, heavy, so burdened with demands? Are you just, you know, you, you feel like you're busting your butt, nothing is working out, you keep hitting the wall. Maybe you feel afraid you'll crack under the pressure. I know how that can feel. You don't know how long you can hold on, and you feel like you're just waiting before you like implode or explode. Afflicted, but not crushed. Heart-pressed, trouble on every side, surrounded and battered, but you are not compressed in spirit, not demoralized, not all hemmed in. Have you been anxious? Are you caught in a dilemma? You're in a bad situation, things are problematic, you don't see a good solution, you feel hopeless, clueless, don't know what to do, who can help? Perplexed but not driven to despair. You may be at your wit's end, but hope has not ended. God knows. We know God knows what to do. We don't know what he might do, but we know he's doing something. We know he knows what to do. Are you facing maybe conflicts, toxic relationship at work, at school, at home? Uh, you've been misunderstood. 
Maybe you feel cast aside, you feel miserable, some unjust words or harsh words that's been spoken against you. Maybe you've been just facing really intense warfare, spiritual warfare and causing you a lot of fear, spiritually terrorized, but not abandoned, not deserted, not left helpless. God has not left your side. Are you in a place where you feel you're just taking hit after hit? Like someone just pushing you down, you can't get back up. You feel defeated, disappointed in yourself, in things, in life, and you can't shake it off. Are you feeling you'd rather not go on, you just want life to be over? We're struck down, but guys, we're not destroyed. We feel knocked down many times, but we're not knocked out as long as this treasure is in our cracked pots. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. How much more contrast can you get, death and life? You know, while afflicted, perplexed, persecuted and struck down, the life of Jesus in us keeps us from being crushed. We're never forsaken and we're never destroyed. His life still manifests in us. And as long as we understand what God has done in our hearts, this brings about a change in us and other people. Right? This is our call to a defiant kind of pursuit of God. I'm not going to be defeated. God is yet with me. I remember when I started off, I said I sense a burden, just a call on us to press into discipleship as a community. Because I think a number of you, that's my sensing, and I included, we're struggling to pursue God, pursue His will. We're struggling. We struggle to have a hunger to keep knowing Him, to grow. But this morning, God calls us to this defined pursuit in our lives, to know him, to walk in his resurrection power. While we cannot see it yet, we're going through this unsettling, we're going through this pressure. It's hard to see that light at the end. We don't quite see or feel or experience this abundant life as yet, but we know it's there because that is the kind of God we know. So let me make some observations about our times. The thing is, we are living in unsettled times, right? A cultural sociologist named Anne Swidler calls this unsettled times, not settled times, where, you know, if you're interested in you know, culture and all that, you can read up on Anne Swidler. Basically, a time of transition and instability, where, you know, habits and traditions are not our motor force anymore, but, you know, we're forced to kind of like you know, break out of that. These are unsettled times that we're in. The face of work that is changed so rapidly, even before uh, COVID, you know, with the growth of, like, the economy, the gig economy, right? During this pandemic, there's even more acceleration of that. Work has been digitized so much more. You know, companies that have like plans to digitize their processes or whatnot in this pandemic, like what couldn't happen in maybe a few years happened. It's just forced to. And so much of us have had to adapt, our kids included, for HBL and all the parents go, woo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've had to adjust so much more. We do things so much more online now, right? Work remotely. Uh, it's just, you know, the face of work changing so much. And this prolonged period has definitely impacted us in a very unsettling way. Uh, you know, we live in this spirit-depleting, screen-obsessed society. Uh, in which, actually, Barna, when trying to describe our culture, they describe it as digital Babylon, uh, calling it you know, a time marked by phenomenal access to all kinds of data, profound alienation in our relationships, and a crisis of authority. Digital Babylon. To stay engaged as faithful followers of God, to hunger after God, to not fall away or become disengaged, you know, or just cruising along, but to keep growing vitally. We need practices, patterns of intentional behavior as our divine pursuit for God in our age, in these times. 
practices against culture that is fleshly and disordered and ungodly. While we may seem to cope with this reasonably well, you may be looking around like, okay, la, not too bad, I think it could be better, but not so bad. I want to say this morning, it is not just can be better, we have much more to pursue in God. Let's not settle just like, you know, wait for this to blow over and then I'll kind of like climb out of it. No, now is the time to defiantly pursue God right where we are. Yes, the numbers are up. Yes, things are not looking as positive as maybe we hope, not just in Singapore, but in many places, right? While we may be coping, but on the subterranean level, I don't think we are growing as well as we really can with all that God has put in us. And so I'm calling this morning, let's not settle, myself included, to stay engaged as faithful followers. We hunger after God. We hunger after a deeper depth, a greater depth and vibrancy in our lives. We need to cultivate practices in deliberate defiance to pursue God in our lives. And where you are, if that's not doing it, think this morning. Let me briefly share three ways uh, with the time that's left. You know, just a little bit from my reflection, three quick uh, ways or practices or habits that you can cultivate, that we can cultivate in defiant pursuit of God in our life in these times to grow. First, introspection. Not just introspection, but with God. Now, some of us are naturally very introspective. Everything introspect, everything reflect, and everything we contemplate. But introspection with God uh, is what I've had to learn, still learning. And many of you would do well to learn as well. In many ways, we live in a time that's reactive, right? Instant, saturated with flow of information. So to oppose all of that, to be reflective, to slow down, to take time to reflect, to examine our hearts. We've never been more challenged. It's swimming upstream. You know, Psalm 139, we may be familiar with this psalm where it says, Oh Lord, you've searched me, you know me. You know when I sit down, you know my thoughts from afar. But then the psalmist goes on towards the end of Psalm 139 and says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. The thing is, the psalm already says, God knows. So why search? Why search and know my heart and know my thoughts? Because it's not God who doesn't know our thoughts. Right? Introspection is a time where we enter with God to know our thoughts the way He knows it. God begins to lead us to see in the crevices of our heart. When we read scripture, we pray, we just, or we just, you know, maybe you're just wallowing in negative thoughts, but learn to introspect with God, and He leads us to look deep within our hearts, our innermost desires, our truest fears, our inclinations, our actual motivations, uh, our habits, our reactions, the splinters that are still there. Richard Foster says, inward fellowship of this kind transforms the inner personality. We cannot burn the eternal flame of the inner sanctuary and remain the same, for the divine fire will consume everything that is impure. You are perplexed, you are afflicted. Let God's spirit lead you into joy and peace, into truth, into insight. You know, when we examine our hearts, we invite him to examine. He checks our desires, gives us discernment and courage to be aware of ourselves and of him, to let go, to be conformed, not just behavior modification, but the true holiness in our hearts. Example, you can take a solitary walk with God. You know, don't just, it's just for fresh air, you know, but hey, introspection with God. Or, you know, carve out a space in your house where you can habitualize yourself to introspect, uh, like a ritual uh, of your spirit. You know, if it helps, have a prayer partner that you practice this with. Uh, it definitely helps me. Practicing introspection helps us to reflect, not react in these times. Second is intergenerational connections. Now, many of you may not know uh, that I grew up uh, in a very 
uh, sort of uncommunicative environment. I grew up with very little interaction uh, within my family uh, and within my extended family, both my parents' side, with older, younger people, even whatever. You know, but there were very few cousins in my family that were my age, but you know, whatever. You know, there was very minimal kind of uh, communicative experiences that I grew up with. But when God encountered me and I joined the church, uh, it was a very opposite kind of experience. You know, there, I, I was plunged just, you know, into full-time ministry uh, quite soon after I gave my life to God. And, uh, you know, I was dealing with a lot of just older people and younger people, and very few in between. And, and it was just, you know, steep learning curve. I loved it. I hated it. I was both, you know, youth ministry, and then you have to deal with all of the parents, and the staff team were all older than me. I was like this little kid in the staff team. It was just a lot of funny moments of miscommunication, like missing each other, not understanding. But there was a lot of lessons learned, and it was mutually very healing for the older generation I communicated with and myself, to have older people that I could actually connect emotionally with uh, because of my family experience. And so I recall instances like that, and, I, in, and also in a book called Faith for Exiles, in where they say the authors would put it this way, uh, when isolation and mistrust are the norms, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. And I think that's really true, right? And many of us carry wounding or baggages or we just like seem to program like, oh, there's a gap, I just cannot. But that's not true. And so church is a crucial context for us to be made whole, to learn, to, to interact, to recover from those baggages, to be healed of despair, of disconnectedness and all this. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a church to raise a parent or a family or a whole person. Someone put it this way, the best way to be formed is to sit with elders, listen to their stories, break bread with them, drink from the same cup. I think that's really beautiful imagery. And we have this, we have this in the city, right? We have people that I have had the privilege of just interacting with. Uh, and I just want to say that that's just amazing. I know many of you, you know, you're so passionate about investing in people, spending time, just sharing life. And I love that. And I want to say, let's pursue that continually to have deliberate acts of appreciation and affirmation of each other across the generations. Make it a point to, I'm going to attempt Jio, right? Correct. Make it, a, make it a point to, you know, ask someone out who is a different age or whatever for meaningful conversation uh, and, and just be deliberate about it. Practicing this intergenerational thing helps us to be rooted instead of isolated in these times. And I encourage you to do that. So introspection and intergenerational connectedness, right? Last, third one is inclusion. Uh, I know there's a lot of like, okay, we're thinking of being inclusive and stuff like that, sort of, uh, but I use the word inclusion. From the way most of us interact, I think we can admit that safe places are not easily found, right? Uh, even I can be pretty guarded, but then like when there's a safe place, then that's where we're able to really be open, right? But where there's openness, even with a bit of apprehension, where there's willingness to listen, to share, to be known and to know, Right, to be known and to know others. It impacts our condition, whether spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, of everyone who's involved. It's not one way. Think about Jesus and you know, including Matthew, the tax collector, or the way that he included Zacchaeus in his friends, uh, as, as a friend. How he asked the Samaritan woman for water. He included, he invited, and he let himself be known. In my growing up years, I, I, I grew up in a, uh, where you would call it kampung ayer, so like house on stilts uh, by the sea. Uh, and, and in that neighborhood, it was very uh, 
mixed, very few Chinese, and it was mostly Malays, uh, big, big families in that, in that kampong. And so there, every time, uh, afternoons or weekends, there would be a couple of these Malay families who would always welcome my sister and I into their home just to play. We can literally just walk in, open the, hi, salamalakum, right now, you can just do that. And, and it was just, and this significantly shaped my posture. Uh, when I became a Christian later on, and how I viewed our role in God's mission. Milton Vincent, in a really amazing book called The Gospel Primer, says this, The more I rehearse and exult in gospel truths, the more there develops in me a corresponding burden for non-Christians to enter into such blessings. Now, whether at an individual level or systemic, there are very real ways people are excluded. At the same time, our tendency to be entitled and self-centered is actually very strong. I don't know if you realize that. It's definitely true for me. It's hard to counter. So to be inclusive is to oppose that exclusion, is to oppose entitlement. And being so aware that we are only jars holding treasure, who are we? Won't we value those who don't feel included because God included us? And won't we crucify the entitled self in us? Let the weak say, I'm strong, right? We carry God's power in us to people who yet have the light. And the church fills the gaps for people to be loved, to be known, to be heard. And I'm talking more on the individual level or group level, not, not systemic, where we imitate Christ, we learn to reciprocate. Because being inclusive, like I said, is not one way to extend kindness, yes, but also to create opportunity where we receive kindness so others can be kind to us. That is good inclusion. Second Corinthians 4, we have the same spirit of faith, verse 13. Paul goes on to say, it is for your sake so that grace extends to more and more people, verse 15. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It's for the sake of including others. So commit to this. Commit. What's one way you can practice building relationship with someone, noticing someone you overlook? Perhaps, you know, observe. What do I see? What is God saying uh, for me, for this person? Be more intentional in practicing inclusion to help us stay real and actually resilient. Because when we do that, we are rehearsing the gospel all over again. When we learn to be inclusive, we are rehearsing the gospel all over again. Now, in closing, I'm just going to say, you know, um, if you want to stay engaged, you not just show up at your life group, whether virtual or in person, but bring it. I'm telling that to myself, too. There are days when I'm just like, oh, yeah. you know, I love my LG and all, but tired, lah. you know. Or, Siena, virtual again. How many of you feel it? No? Hey? Some. Some of us in person, yes, but still, right? Don't be just on your phone the entire time and calling some of you out. Show up, bring it. Stay engaged. If you want to be growing in this time, it's unsettling, it's not a great time of this era or whatever, but divide it. We're going to grow nonetheless. The roots go deeper in anxious times. Why not? Hunger for God. Grow in depth in this season. Grow in vibrancy. Let God fertilize the soil of your spiritual garden. We need to cultivate this. We can't slow down. We gotta be vigilant as exiles who are faithful. We're saying, God, not just help me survive this period, but God, what are you doing? And how can I join you in this? What are you doing in the life of my neighbor? What are you doing in our church? What are you doing in our community? God, I want to be part of that. God, I'm going to learn to, to introspect with you. I'm going to learn to connect with people because I don't want to isolate. God, I want to learn to include others because that's what you do, Jesus. You defied your times to include us, people like me. And so teach me to pursue that. Jesus, who defiantly pursued the will of the Father. We are not pursuing when just things blow over, but in the thick of it. You know the song, In the Crushing, 
right? In the crushing, there is new wine. So my call to us today as a church is to lean in as disciples together. Don't be like, oh, I'm just languishing here. Yes, sort of, some days we are, but come on, let's snap out of it. Dance, even in the face of this, and divide. And in the times that I've been feeling it too, I've just been, you know, some of you know what's been going on. I've just been wallowing in self-pity. I've just been like sitting on my favorite rattan chair in the house, and I'm just like, God, what's going on? And then God reminded me of his text. You know that story where I talked about Gideon? Uh, You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to retell it as we close. You know, Gideon was not a very confident man. He was just kind of hiding in the threshing place. He was feeling very small, very insignificant, like, oh, you know, I'm just this little worm. He didn't say that, but something like that. And so Judges chapter 7 tells the story of how God just basically calls him to lead his people into war against the Midianites. And so out of that self-pity, out of feeling so small and insignificant and purposeless, when the odds were totally against his, his army, God says, I'm whittling down your army. We don't need thousands of men. You don't need even 1,000. Just 300. Send the rest home. And that's kind of how it feels. You're afflicted. You're perplexed. What? You feel struck down. But God yet says, you know, let every one of your 300 men take a light and take a jar, an earthen jar. And when you come close to the Median army, know that the victory I've already given to you. You are not going there to check things out. You are going there to own the place. And so one torch, one hand with a torch and one hand with the jar. And when you go near you're going to put them, break that jar, the light comes out, it's going to blast the daylight literally out of these people. And they're going to be so bewildered. What's going on? Wow, you know, and it just hit by the shining power of God in you. And they defeated the Midianite army like that. Earthen jars carrying this light. And God wants us to have this image in our mind this morning Would you learn to live in defiant pursuit of me in these unsettled times? Would you set in place in your life practices that allow me to grace you and empower you to be like those 300 men where my light breaks out of your broken jar and people will see, you are weak, but I am strong. God says, you may be afflicted, but you are not defeated. You may be struck down, but not destroyed. You can dance upon injustice. You can dance upon oppression. You can dance upon what is seemingly totally against you and still know for God and for his people, for his kingdom, this is what we're for. And so this morning, I want to call you to stand with me as the worship team gets ready. And we're going to respond together as one. This morning, God may be challenging you to just, you know, check that area in your life where you've just gone slack. You know, you've just gone like, oh, well, whatever. I don't care anymore. And God's just calling you out and God's challenging you right now. Would you surrender that to me and would you pursue me once again? And if that's you, wherever you are, whether you're here in person or you're at home, I want to invite you to raise your right hand in defiance against the enemy and all that the enemy has tried to do in you, in your heart, and all that you've allowed to be done to you. 
that is not of God. Raise your right hand and you're saying, God, I want to pursue you again. I want to come after you. I want to run after you, the things of your kingdom once again. Would you raise your right hand and just begin to tell him with words or, you know, just response from your heart and tell him right now where you are. And some of you, you've just been in this place of defeat and you've just been entertaining, you know, thoughts that are not helpful, thoughts that are not uplifting and not life-giving, but you've not turned to scripture. And God is just saying this morning, would you lift up your right hand as an expression that you want to come to me again once more for words of life that I long to give to you. So you raise your hand and you say, God, this is me. I may be afflicted, I may be perplexed and all this, but I am not struck down. You've not forsaken me. And you respond to God right where you are, such that not that He needs to hear you, you need to respond so that you can hear yourself. give another minute as we respond I'm trusting that in many places just just listening to this wherever you are you're responding so I want to give you time so we're responding we raise this hand to you God we raise this hand not because we are strong but we raise this hand to you because we are weak and we need you we're weak and we need you to teach us God would you uh, strengthen and empower us to pursue you pursue the things you've called us to once again to just renew God our pursuit of you this morning God, we raise this hand to say, yes, we are jars of clay, but we are jars of clay with treasure. And so, Lord, we bring our lives before you, and like Gideon, we say, God, we will obey. God, though, though, though it seems really daunting, really overwhelming, but God, we obey, we just respond by faith and we say, we live for you, we pursue you. And all that we are, we give to you. And we hunger after you and the things you wanna do in our lives. That is not just our accomplishments really, but is who we are in you, who you are forming us to be. And so this morning, this is our sign of defiant pursuit our hands raised to you and we worship you and even as we worship with the worship team now let this praise from our mouths be a defiance for your kingdom's sake for your glory only for you and so with that God we say yes and we pray this in Jesus name